And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Sports are back, and we at The Athletic have you covered. And to celebrate the return of sports, we're offering 40% off an annual subscription. Get access to all of The Athletic's exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Scott Powers and I have you covered on the Blackhawks, and our army of writers have you covered in every other series and every other sport. So go to theathletic.com slash Powers and get 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams or our deep dives, our analysis, our stupid features on mascots. We got it all. So go to theathletic.com slash Powers for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute. And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our new Laz and Powers. This is Scott Powers, and I am joined by Mark Lazarus, both at The Athletic. Mark, hello. Good morning. How you doing? You, you got some coffee in you? Uh, no, I, I actually had an early energy drink, and I'm not sure if it's helping me. I... I, I went to sleep about one after the game, and then uh, uh, the kid got up around five. And my wife oh, was brutal. Yeah, uh, we need to. I need to work on some kind of sleep routine. And then uh, my wife was nice enough to get up and handle that. And I went back to sleep for a few hours. And yeah, I don't. I'm I'm tired. I so, I'm not, I'm not sure how they're playing. Like I, I mean, the players haven't played. A, even like the Blues game was a little bit earlier. Like I yeah. I wonder if that was any like an adjustment for them to play that late. Well, if they're like me, they've been going to bed at like 10 p.m. every night during quarantine because there's been nothing better to do. So I'm I'm out of practice with these night games. Last night, we're, we're in the process of moving. We just listed and sold our house over the weekend. And, you know, we had a whole bunch of garbage that we just kind of hid behind the garage so that nobody would see it when they were going through our house. And like at 1.30 in the morning, I turned to my wife. I'm like, oh, shit, it's garbage night. So we had to go out there like 1.30 in the morning in the dark pulling, you know, rotted wood like 20 minutes back and forth to the curb so and then thankfully my kids get up at like 9 a.m so that wasn't a problem but scotty burnside had me on this podcast this morning at 8 a.m and i'm never going to forgive him for that go check out the two-man advantage on the athletic podcast (laughs) network uh will will there be like a story in the tribune mark lazarus has sold his house i i don't think i'm famous enough those (laughs) those stories always creep me out like why do you have to like know that jonathan taves is selling his house and he made this much money on it why is that news I worked in newspapers for almost 20 years. I never understood why that's news. I, I am always curious to see the place, though. I know. I always click on it, too. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm a total hypocrite. Uh, so, so hockey. Um, hockey, that's right. They're playing hockey now. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, there's been, what, 
ten, with ten, with nineteen goals scored in this series so far. Uh, yeah, it's a little, not, not very good goaltending, not very good defense, but it's been fun to watch. Yeah, the goal. I, I mean, the goaltending has been great, but it, it's been. I mean, last night there were uh, twenty-five high danger chances, seventeen by the the Oilers in five-on-five play. It's um, there's been a lot of penalties. Usually, I feel like teams, and maybe it's just them adjusting, but. I feel like power plays are usually harder to come by in the playoffs, and I know these aren't your normal playoffs. Um, and maybe they're calling the game a little bit looser. It's just players actually, you know, committing those penalties too. But uh, like, like in the second period yesterday, what the Blackhawks had what four power plays and in a row, uh, yeah. There were yeah, there was I think ten minutes of five on five ice time in the in the entire second period. Um, what uh, I, I don't know, lots of yeah, lots, lot happened that game. But what? Well, what was I think you expected this a little bit. I mean, I mean, we we see this every October when guys come off a long summer. They have a short training camp where they're kind of half-assing it. They have a couple of preseason games, and then October hockey is just ragged, messy hockey. And everybody kept saying, "No, this is going to be different because it's the playoffs." No, it's not. It's raggedy hockey, and it's amplified when. You have two teams that are bad defensively, like the Oilers and the Blackhawks, and it's amplified even more when you're the third game on that sheet of ice on a given day. I mean, you could tell the difference between how clean the puck handling was in game one, the first game of the day, and game two, the third game of the day. I mean, you can't, it's not, Edmonton is always known for having some of the best ice in the league, but you can't realistically have perfect ice when there's been, you know, seven, eight, nine hours of hockey being played on it. So I think all of that is contributing to the raggediness of this, uh, this series, and I think that's just going to continue. This is going to be a high-scoring series because Corey Crawford is not himself yet, and I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to be himself yet after such a long layoff and such a short ramp-up. And Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith just aren't very good, so you're going to have this kind of you know wild, freewheeling hockey where two goal deficits get erased very quickly and then you know added back on very quickly. It's just going to be a fun, weird, wild, messy series. Having said that, I, I thought Koskinen and Crawford made some really good saves yesterday. You know, like th- there's chances being had all over that ice, and like even that first, the first one. I mean, it's it, McDavid. It's a bouncing puck on Nurse, and then it's a bouncing puck on McDavid, and, and he and he puts in the back of the nets. And uh, yeah, and there's a lot of extraordinary offense out there too. You know, just the the way they're scoring yep. goals, even the scores goals the Blackhawks are scoring, and it's. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's high end offense with you know subpar defense and some shaky goaltending. But even even you know I, I you know keeping notes throughout the game, I, there was a lot of saves for me. Like well, you know Crawford could have gave that up, and that game could have you know could have been could have even got more lopsided. Or even Koskinen, I thought the Blackhawks had some pretty good chances. Where uh, certainly the goalies aren't up to par, but it's I, yeah I feel like it's it has a lot to do with the offense. And these teams usually play this style. Like most of the games are are pretty competitive and um someone i was talking to yesterday is like you know i think someone said you know if the blackhawks win this game it's them surviving early on you know like they knew the oilers are going to come at them and 19 seconds in the oilers score and and then you know i was still trying to find the game i didn't realize it was on nbc sports (laughs) chicago i'm flipping between nhl network and nbcsn going what the hell is the game and i turned it on 19 they're celebrating the first goal i'm like oh good job me before five minutes you know the oilers had two goals the blackhawks had given up a penalty um, and luckily, they they killed off that 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 penalty because it had been three nothing within the first five minutes. And uh, despite all that, the Blackhawks had a chance in this game. You know, it was three three. They came back. Uh, it was four three in that third period. And I, I feel like Crawford's blunder with the puck it just it really just you know the, the Oilers scored pretty quickly after that. But that game was still atta- attainable, and it just 
Uh, and part of it's like you're playing from behind for so long that once you get down, and I know that you, cause you were sort of asking those questions last time, it was just how much pushback and, you know, how, how difficult it is to continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, the Blackhawks, I mean, there's no there's no nice way to put it. They basically laid down in the third period. Once once Crawford had that mistake and it, and they scored, I mean, I think they got out, out-chanced 8-1 to one in the third period. There was no pushback at all, and it's, you know, a hallmark of this team that they always do fight back, and they did it like three times during the game. So I think at some point you run out of gas. You can't constantly keep playing catch up like that. Uh, and I like, like I don't want to I don't want to lay this game at Crawford's feet. That's not what I mean by saying he doesn't look like himself. But we talked a lot about this series in the seventy five years that we knew it was coming over the quarantine, and we all said the same thing that Corey Crawford could win this series for the Blackhawks. But to do that, he's got to be peak Corey Crawford, that postseason Corey Crawford that we've seen that. 929 goalie he was over the last three months of the season and he's just not that right now he's he's playing he's playing fine he's making a lot of good saves I mean nothing you could do when there's a double doink off you know Duncan Keith's stick and or uh you know Ryan Carpenter's stick and Duncan Keith's calf muscle I mean that's you, you can't have that but he's his reaction time just isn't quite there there's been a couple of times where he's been lost on the play uh, it happened in game one where he completely lost track of the puck and just kind of sat there on his knees waiting to find it instead of getting back in position he's not at 100 percent right now I think that's clear and without him at 100%, everything else has to be so much better. And that's the Blackhawks just, they did not, they played an almost perfect game in game one where they owned the puck and they dominated play and they really took it to the Oilers at five on five. But last night, the Oilers were much more aggressive, more physical on the four check. They really penned the Blackhawks in and there just wasn't enough pushback to do anything about it. And Crawford couldn't mask it because he's not at his best right now. A couple of things. I, I started watching a game again this morning and then I was kind of looking more into the in the stats and a couple of things jumped out to me one is that uh, in game one it seemed like Dave Tippett wanted the McDavid line to face that fourth line uh, as much as possible and and he went directly at uh, the Taves line in game two where um, that line saw saw Taves from the start and and kept on seeing them and uh, it did it did it did a couple of things I felt like it wanted uh it didn't allow the Taves and Kubalik. I mean, Kubalik after five points in the first game, and obviously some of those came on the power play. They were they were pretty ineffective. Um, but but if that top line wasn't going, and especially with uh, Kajula out of the lineup, and and that you know that second line being pretty unimpressive right now, considering can what we, we can saw. we talk about Alex Nylander? We got to talk about Alex Nylander <laughs> for sure. No, but I was going to get to that point too. Is that right, sorry, go ahead. even <laughs> as as that game went along and and he switched up the lines, like it became. With with that second line struggling, you you got Kane playing with the Brinkett and Doc, which were the only line that was effective. And then you know you're playing from behind, and and if Taves lines, you know, being uh, you know just uh, just being held down, that it, it became a one line. You know, like the fourth line's probably not going to score with forty. That second line became ineffective, and then the fact that McDavid was. Um, you know, holding down Taves' line, that it, it the responsibility fell on one line because it it just it, offensively they just yeah there wasn't any consistency throughout the line. There was it was one line producing and um and and we'll get to that Nylander line and which was strange because they weren't on the ice. The Nylander and Kane and Strom weren't on the ice a lot because Carlton went to uh, you know he switched up the lines and put Kane on with uh, the other line more, but. Uh, that that Strom line was on actually on the ice for three goals against in, in their limited time, and it wasn't always their fault, but uh, it just kind of talks to, you know, kind of speaks to how ineffective they were, and just, um, but yeah, certainly, yeah, we, we, Nylander hasn't been uh, has been what we, we thought he might be in the series. Yeah, the uh, the the Nylander hype train 
didn't never made it out of Union Station in Chicago. It's, it's certainly not in Edmonton right now. He looked he looked really good in camp. I mean, that line of Nylander, Strom, and Kane was dominant, but they were dominant against you know the Blackhawks fourth and fifth pairings a lot of the time. So we have to take all that with a grain of salt. Now in a playoff environment, in a physical tense environment, Nylander's folding up a little bit. And it's it's disconcerting if you're the Blackhawks because, I mean, do you take the, dr- the dramatic step of benching a guy that you had in your top six? Do you put a Dylan Secura in that spot instead? Give him a chance. He also looked really good in camp. Or do you f- tough it out? I mean, Nylander wasn't benched last night, but he was sort of benched. He played, I think, only... Uh, John Quenville played less time than he did. He played less five-on-five uh, five time than Ryan Carpenter and Matthew Highmore. If you don't trust him and he's not producing, then you, I don't know if you can have him in your lineup. I mean, if, if you're concerned about the way the team looked last night and you're Jeremy Colleton, one of the things you can do is put someone else into that bigger role and I, I you know put a Dylan Secura in and see what happens. I mean, Secura, I, we talked about him for the last three years, it feels like. But he is a possession monster. He, every time he's on the ice, his puck, his, his line has the puck. Why not give him a chance? Even in a third-line role, you put Dabrinkit with Doc and Kane. You can put uh, uh, Secure out there with Strom and Kajula and just see what happens. Because Nylander, through two games, has looked bad. You know, the turnovers at center ice, the you know screening his own goalie. He's always out of position. Uh, he's got, we say it all the time, he's got all the skill in the world. But he is not applying it when it matters most. The first game, I thought they were okay. It wasn't. It wasn't great. It just it, and and you know they got by. And, and yesterday, he just he looked like he was uncomfortable with the puck. And and sometimes he's trying to play too fast, and his skill just it's there, but he, his mind or his his hands aren't working as quickly, and he mishandles the puck. And it, it seemed like he just he yeah he just wasn't trying to do too many things last night. And I, I was sort of surprised by Quinville playing in that decision. I get the thought process. Um, you want him, he's more Kajula-like than, than Hagel or Secura, but I, I thought Secura was pretty impressive in camp, and the opportunity to maybe play Secura with Dabrinkin, and when, when Secura had that hat-trick in the scrimmage, it was it was him and Dabrinkin hooking up, and um, I know that you want the defensive element and the and the physicality, but it's also like the, you probably need some goals to score in the series. And, and, and obviously they went down to nothing and things changed pretty quickly. But I felt like if you had secure there, you might've been able to play that line out a little bit longer. Um, I, I think with, yeah, Kajula, I, mean, I, I think with Kajula coming back, that Colleton's likely to, you know, go back to the lineup that won in game one. I, I think they, they, yeah. they believe in that. And, and if it doesn't work, then, then in game four, they may explore other opportunities, but I, I would, if I was betting, I would assume that Nylander stays in and they just, they go back to what worked in game one. I mean, you know, you talk about the defensive element. I think Colleton, no, no coach wants to admit this, but defense isn't going to win you the series offenses. Yeah. Look what the Oilers did. The Taves line ran rough shot over them. So like you said, they threw the McDavid light at them because when McDavid has the puck, Taves and Saad and Kubalik don't. The best defense in this series is going to be just owning the puck and keeping it away from the skilled players on the other team. There's so much high-end skill on both sides that you can't just sit back and collapse and hope to stop them. The best thing to do is to go at them and 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 just control the game, control the puck, and keep it off of their stick. Because you see what... I mean, God, that second goal by McDavid was just stupid. I remember I, I one of the... I always say the best goal I ever saw was Alex Kalorn in game one of the 2015 Stanley Cup final, that ridiculous redirect he had for like that backhand lacrosse shot. The second best goal I ever saw was Mario Lemieux in 2001 when I first started doing this. He juggled the puck as he was going down the ice. Like he bounced it up in the air three times before settling it down, making a move around a guy and scoring. That's kind of what McDavid did last night. It was incredible. He just bats the puck out of the air, scoops it up off a bouncing puck, settles it down, and then just makes a move around Olimata, who just looked terrified. And scored. I mean, he's just 
there's things he can do that are just stupid. And he's clearly, you know, for, you know, there's the running gag about it. He doesn't have the personality to have leadership. Fuck that, man. I would follow that guy to the freaking hell and back to play hockey. He is so good and he is so dialed in right now. He's got, what, five goals through two games. He is the best player in the world and he's playing like it. And you're going to have to accept that fact. So why not not worry about stopping him and just go and outscore him? I feel like there's so much more drama on other other beats. I feel like we you know, need more controversy on the uh, on the Blackhawks beat. Yeah. Well, the logo wasn't enough for you. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm among the uh, the Blackhawks media, you know. <laughs> no, we have a pretty bar. I always like uh, you know, there's like the Buffalo Sabers guys. I always it's like it's like being a remember the Bulls during the Derrick Rose era where every day was a soap opera and some like super hyper dramatic story, even though they were a terrible team. That's kind of what like the Buffalo Sabers are like and. Edmonton media is always like that. I, you know, we need to start some shit in Chicago. <laughs> we'll start just throwing at Charlie and Ben. And- the Hawks are just so buttoned down. You know, they just they they don't they don't they they never engage in it. Like I would love to just like get into like a a war with Ben and Charlie and. Uh, I think Phil I feel like Deets might be, would be up for it. You know. Yeah, yeah, we could go after Deets. Let's go we after could- Deets. Let's have an organized campaign we, to we just, just destroy John Deets. Game. Yes, let's just destroy John Deets. Let's do it. It'll be fun. <laughs> love you, John. Love you, John. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, with, the, with, the, with this next game, the Blackhawks getting the last change. It, it's it, maybe Carlton tries to get back that fourth, uh, that fourth pairing up against uh, or the fourth Absolutely. line against the McDavid one. It's uh, um, because it, it becomes a bit of a chess match after that that first game, and, and certainly Tippett wanted to change things up and nullify Taves' line. So uh, this will this will be Carlton's chance in these next two games. Um, to yeah, to, to make his move, uh, I, I'm curious what time. I guess it'll, it'll depend on how these next games go. But I I am praying for something other than a 9:30 start on Friday. I think. Um, I think we're going to get a lot of 9:30 starts. If there's one, if there's one thing I've learned over the years is that the NHL doesn't give a shit about the Central Time Zone. Now, we had all those 8:45 p.m. starts for all those years, and now we're just getting 9:30 starts just to make it even worse. I mean, I'm, I just I'm so jealous of the 10, 10 11 a.m. starts where you oh, can God, have you all day to like, work and write stories. Like, and- I was I was joking with Arthur Staple yesterday, our Islanders writer, about how lucky he is that he covers a team that nobody cares about because he always gets these day <laughs> games, They're like eleven a.m. starts. Oh man, look at eleven a.m. He's got an eleven a.m. start today. He's got another eleven a.m. start the next one. That's just that's just beautiful. Yeah, that Saturday game was too nice. Um, so we're we're actually going to do this again uh, after the next game, and uh, hopefully, uh, I guess as long as the Blackhawks go, we'll try to do the podcast pretty consistently. And um, certainly, we'll have a lot of content later today and uh, throughout the week and throughout the playoffs. So, um, do you have uh, anything else you'd like to add, sir? Um, no, not really. I think we kind of covered it. And you know, game three, it's it, it's it's now we're in again a best of five series. I guess game three becomes the quote unquote pivotal game. Uh, they they better go out and win it. I mean, they got uh, a really good team that's found its legs and has all the talent in the world, and uh, they've got to figure out how to stop them. Or this is going to be over in a couple of days. Yes, uh, you, you mentioned it, but the uh, the two man advantage, uh, something that you were on today, is now uh, it's five days a week, and uh, Scott Burnside's on there. And uh, is it just is it Burnside by himself? Is Pierre on there too? Uh, Pierre will be on there at some point, but uh, it was just Scotty going through the rounds. He was talking to Rob Rossi about the Penguin series before. Uh, he's really kind of making the rounds around the league with you know Pierre LeBron, Ryan Clark, Katie Strang. We're going through everybody. 
Yep. Uh, and, and then there's a the full 60 with, uh, with Custance, who obviously does a great job. And I know that they have a uh, return-to-play roundtable with uh, with Pierre and Scotty and Ryan Clark. Oh, that's the one I was just reading. I was reading the wrong line. See, there you go. I'm good at plugging these things. <laughs> with Katie Strang. And, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that'll be published on Thursday. Uh, obviously, you can find all these podcasts at The Athletic. And we will uh, we'll be back at this. And you can find the, the Lads and Power show here again on Thursday. So... Uh, until then, we will uh, we'll talk to you. See ya. I can help even just a little bit. Won't you let me try? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.